you will be stirred by my interview today with my Indian friends, Yesupadam and Monica. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. One of the great joys of my life is going to India every year with some of my dearest, closest friends on the planet to pour out together, to minister together, uh, to serve the people of India, the great nation where God is doing some amazing things. And the last two years, because of COVID, haven't been able to go. And finally this year, back on schedule to go in December, God willing, trip number 28 to India. But it just so happens that my dear friends, Jesu Padam and Monica, and another colleague as well, whom we'll meet in the course of today's show, they're here with us in the States for a few days. We got to spend time, minister together yesterday, and now they get to share their hearts with you. This is Michael Brown. This is The Line of Fire. We won't be taking calls today. We're devoting our entire time to this interview, so sit back, be blessed, and encouraged. If you're watching on YouTube, click thumbs up. Let others know about the broadcast. If you're watching on Facebook, click share, and then share this later with your friends. If you're listening on radio, call a friend. Tell them to tune in. Without further ado, Yesupadam, welcome back to the Line of Fire. Great to have you with us. Yeah, thank you, brother, having me back on this radio show. Amazing. Now, <laughs> you just turned 70, which is a real miracle that you made it this far, isn't it? Yes. I should have been died at the age of 10. All right, so, so you, were, you were raised in Untouchable, and such situation we can't relate to in America in terms of the poverty in terms of just being despised, outcast. You watched your own mother die just because you couldn't get simple medication that would have kept anyone else alive. Ten years old, you're, you're malnourished, and you collapse on the side of the road. You should have died there, but a Canadian missionary found you. Yes. You know, two, three days in a week, it's normal not to have the food. So there are a number of times I used to faint on the middle of the road, but that day... I was almost unconscious, it seems, when that Baptist missionary, who is still alive, he lives in uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. Mm. When he was passing by in his Jeep with his family, he saw me like a dead boy in the middle of the road. He came down to find out I was alive, I was breathing, I was unconscious but breathing. That white man touched this untouchable boy and then carried me and took me to a hospital which they established kept me there for two weeks and it's because of that good samaritan i'm alive dr mike today but you did not <coughs> excuse me you did not turn to jesus at that point but at the age of 11 you were influenced to become a, a naxalite a, a maoist communist uh, what was the appeal there at that time it was the way they approach you they say that you don't have to suffer like you are suffering. If you join our your hands with us, we all shall be called as a comrades, and we can fight for the rights. You can live like a human being. You'll be respected and honored. Mm. That's the appealing thing to, for me because I was treated like a worse than an animal. You know, our people, great country, great people, they worship even animals, but they don't even touch a normal human being like me. Mm. So that was very appealing to me that I don't have to go through that 
that suffering, pain, hurt, rejection anymore in my life. That was very appealing to me. So you wanted to be a revolutionary, but without God. Exactly. Without the gospel. So by the time you're 20 years old, you're an atheist? Yep. Alcoholic? Alcoholic. Violent man? Yep. Gang leader. Gang leader. So you're even shedding blood? Yes. And for the cause of communism? Exactly. And how does God save you? What happened? It was 1976, January 26, around 1, 1.30 in the noontime. I had no clue. I was sitting in the chair, looked towards the sky, very far in the sky. I saw the shape of a man hanging on the cross. I heard the story of Jesus. I read even the stories as I was growing up. My dad was a, a fine Christian, a prayerful man. He always told me, son, Jesus loves you. He died for you. You must serve him. Actually, he gave me the name, which means the foot of Jesus. His desire was I must be walking in the streets of India proclaiming the glorious gospel. But I became a communist and went away. So I know the story. I saw that. Then I thought to myself, it could be Jesus. But my communist brain told me, no, that's your imagination. And as if somebody zoomed a lens, Mike, I saw the hand of a man. Yes, clear. Yes, you see my hand, like a five fingers. And then a nail in his hand, blood drop after drop coming down from the nail thorn hand of the Savior. Then I heard an audible voice, friends, as clear as you see here my voice today. I heard it so clearly in my language. He did not call me an alcoholic gang leader, but he called me son. I did all this for you. What would you do for me? That word son broke my heart, brought tears. And that was the turning point. I realized the love of God, that that's not just a story, but that's real. Jesus is alive. Jesus speaks. Jesus shows himself alive and changes and transforms the lives of the people. That day, my life was transformed forever and ever. Never looked back. Mm. What a transformation. That's, that's, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. Absolutely. So since then, God takes this former untouchable with not much education, very lost man now, radically saved. Uh, how, how many churches has God used your ministry to plant in, in India? By God's grace, so far over 10,000 churches were planted, <laughs> trained thousands of uh, I mean, church planters and uh, missionaries, and uh, then raised up actually over 5,000 children in our campus, mm. providing food, accommodating children like me. They are engineers, doctors, they are everywhere around the world today. So these were children that you took in either without both parents or one parent or extreme poverty and need. You took them in. They, they stayed with you three meals a day, school and all this. So that's that's five thousand now. Over five. Over five thousand <laughs> that have gone through the children's home. So wow! I mean, I've seen them every trip. Okay, this is amazing. Yeah. And you've cared for the elderly. Yes. Provided training for handicapped, vocational exactly. training. Uh, mm -hmm. What about other countries? What what countries has God used your ministry to establish works in? Well, when the Lord actually spoke to me, He showed me the globe, an English word across the globe. Jesus cares. Love and care came from Jesus cares because God is love. Jesus is love. 
and uh, five nations I saw underneath the hands USA, Canada, Sweden, South Africa, and West Germany. I thought God wanted me to pray for those five nations. Then I realized the Lord wanted me to go there. And then started opening up and I started getting invitation from other nations. Then I started thinking, I only saw five countries. Then God by his grace said, son, did you see the globe or five countries? I said, I saw five globe first and the five countries. Then now in Europe, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Netherlands, Romania, even helping the refugees from Ukraine, then America, Canada, Madagascar, and uh, Sierra Leone, and many nations around the world, South Korea, I mean, the Philippines. I mean, after, I, after I counted 60 nations, I stopped counting. Mm. <laughs> and friends, in some of these countries, we're talking about a, a real major presence and, and, and doing work that's just staggering. I mean, it literally impacting the nation of, of Madagascar through a, through a Korean brother and his wife that were, were trained in the ministry there with Yesu Padam and then have, have gone out uh, to the nations. And we're going to talk to Monica in a moment in the next segment. In our studio now, we can actually do live camera interviews, but just with one person at a time. So we're going to bring in Monica and, and then a surprise guest from India as well that we're going to bring in. But when we went the first time to India, we, we met your first wife, Padmini, and she had died before we met her. Yeah. Uh, were you in the hospital when they pronounced her dead? Yes. I was sitting by her bed. And she had, so she had cancer years earlier. They expected her to die. She lived about 10 more years, then got cancer again. Exactly. And it, it's from brain spread through her spine. Mm -hmm. Was she crippled at that point? She could not get up and walk because her spinal and brain was also affected. All right. So the doctors pronounced her dead, and you were praising God for the years you had. There was another brother by the bedside. Exactly. What happened? You know, I was... They were removing everything, IV fluids and everything. They said, doctor came to him and said, I'm sorry, yes, Father, you know, we could not help. And uh, I was sitting there actually praising God for his faithfulness. All these years, she was supposed to die in one month, but she lived for many years. You know, I was not complaining. I was thanking God. And suddenly she woke and opened her eyes. And uh, immediately she said, did you see me going up? I'm like, uh, I was shocked. I'm like, what is going up? What happened? And she said, I, I, I died. I was going up and I was going through the darkest place, entered into the place where it is so bright and uh, there was such a presence of the Lord. I, I wanted to see Jesus. I called a couple of times. Then I felt like I was coming down. And then she got up from the bed. She got down the bed. She was just literally jumping up and down to the point the doctor and the nurses saw her. They started coming running towards her. And I could still hear her saying, Doctor, Jesus healed me. Mm. And she lived two more years. Yeah, so we met her. Yeah. We met her after that. But exactly. you were going to be single. <laughs> That's it. You, uh, the, the brothers were coming to you, yeah. and they were saying, you should get married. It's better. Maybe there's a widow. It's just better for the ministry, and people won't be trying to marry you and all that. Yeah. But you were, you're going to stay single. So we've got about a minute, and then we're going to bring Monica next. So you prayed a prayer. Remember, yeah. friends, this is an Indian praying a prayer, not an American, an Indian. What did, what did you pray? I prayed a prayer 
thinking that I'm shutting the door forever because <laughs> I didn't want to marry. I said, Lord, if I if you really want me to marry again, she must be a white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. She should come and ask me. <laughs> so there are not many Indians with white skin, let alone white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then it's totally contrary to the culture for a woman to come to the man and say, we're supposed to get married. So he knew in doing that, he was shutting the door on marriage forever. But God had another plan. We come back, you're going to hear about the rest of this plan with my friend, Yesu Panam. I also want to tell you how you can invest in this ministry, one of the greatest spiritual investments you could make on the planet eternal bang for your buck lncministries.org love and care lncministries.org we'll be right back the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown thanks friends for joining us on this very special edition of the line of fire as i speak with some of my dearest friends on the planet and some of the truest christians i know on the planet if you ever excuse me want to come to india with me one year maybe we could make that happen to find out about the ministry, LNC, as in love and care, lncministries.org. All right, so Nancy and I went on some of the early trips. She went on three of the four first trips that I made to India. We'd stay actually a month. It's long trips now. I'm there for about four days just because of schedule. But uh, on one of the trips, uh, every year there would be folks from other countries that were there working at the children's home, volunteering in other ways in the ministry. It just felt called to India, wanted to learn to evangelize, serve the ministry, serve the poor. So uh, one of the trips, I, I, I met a young lady from Canada named Monica, just one of many folks who served there, excuse me, kind of quiet and faithfully serving the Lord. And there's an interesting story that didn't stop there. So, uh, Monica, welcome back to the Line of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. All right, so... When you went to India, was it just a trip you were making, or did you have a prior calling to India? Yeah, when I was 12 years old, I told my mom, I'm going to be a missionary someday. Don't really know, you know how that all came about, but God just put on my heart. Actually, when I was seven, when I got saved, I right away said, Lord, I want to serve you with all my life. Mm. And so, yeah, I was 27 when I went to India. I'd waited many years to know where God really wanted me long-term. Did a lot of short-term mission trips and things, but nothing seemed long-term. And when I went to India, it was so clear. God was calling me there, clearer than anything ever before. So I thought I'll go for three years and I'll see what else God has for me after that. So uh, what did you think of the ministry when you got there? Oh, I was so amazed with, actually when I first met Yesu Padam in Canada in 96, and he shared about the visions God had given him, how God spoke to him to do certain things, how he showed him the globe, two hands holding the globe, and how God spoke. I was like, wow, um, an, 
a, a live person who hears from God and does it. So when I went to India and saw the vision played out and buildings and all of that, I was just amazed that this was happening, not just in a book from, you know, people we read about that have passed away. So I was really touched. And, and all the more when you think that he was an untouchable. Mm-hmm. You know, when he first came to America and saw an ATM machine, he thought there was a little person inside giving out the money. I mean, this yeah. is all completely foreign and new to yeah. him. I remember when we first met, just changing an airline ticket and spending a few hundred dollars. To, you know, that was a massive step mm-hmm. of faith to do something like that, to come in and meet me and spend time together. Mm-hmm. So when you realize who God used and the mm-hmm. scope of the work, it becomes all the more mind-boggling and Jesus-glorifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Canadian spirituality in the church, similar to American in in many ways. What did you think when you saw the kids in the children's home, little kids, three, four, five years old, getting up at, what, 4.35 in the morning to spend Mm -hmm. time in prayer in the Word? How did that impact you? Oh, deeply. I was so, so impacted in every way spiritually. I was so challenged in my faith and my prayer life. And uh, yeah, just we feel like the children there are the backbone of the ministry, yeah. and they they carry it. And the fruitfulness of the ministry has so much to do with the prayers of the children. Women get up three, four in the morning and pray for hours, and so yeah, very deeply impacted my life. All right, so then something interesting happens, which is how we become such dear close friends over the years and work together uh, around the world. Tell us the story of how God connects you now to Yesu Padam. So I got off the plane in Mumbai in January 97, in the middle of the night, and I heard a still small voice, you're at home. And I had been praying for six years where God wanted me to do, but also for my husband, that God would show me very clearly who he wanted me to marry, that he'd arrange my marriage, and that I would have no doubts, that I would know that I know that I know this is the person. And when I went to India, I really gave that to the Lord. And I said, Lord, even if I'm single the rest of my life, it's okay. So I went there ready to be single for Jesus. Got off the plane, God spoke to me, you're at home. And then went to the ministry and felt such a peace and such a grace to be there. And after three weeks of being there, actually when I got there, I found out Yesupam's first wife had passed away. He had two children. Three weeks down the road, we were busy traveling, doing crusades and evangelism in the so, villages. So hang on, You're, you've only been there for a few weeks. Now. Yes. This is not after years. No. You, you've only been there for a few weeks. A few weeks. Okay, go yeah. ahead. And uh, I w- we were traveling, and then God burdened my heart. My my, It was like I literally felt the burden that he carried as the leader of the ministry. So for three days, I was just praying for him, and I even prayed for a wife for him. And I, I, it was so strong. And uh, on the third night, we were at a crusade meeting, and the burden lifted. And then it was the altar call time, and Yesupam started calling people forward for prayer. And he said to all of us 30 foreigners that were there, Koreans, Americans, one Canadian, me, he said, go and pray for the people. And I walked out in the crowd, looked back towards the stage. And again, that still small voice, so clear. He is your husband. <laughs> and this peace and joy filled me. And it was like my whole life made sense to that point. I realized what God had been preparing me for all those years. Mm. Now, for those that are listening on radio or on podcast, Monica has white skin. Mm-hmm. Monica has blonde hair. Monica has blue eyes. But Monica is also 
not the kind of person to just step out and do some kind of crazy, radical, well, God told me thing, especially when it involves somebody else's life. But what did you feel God was telling you? Well, the next morning, it was just a divine setup by God. I was crying out to the Lord, do I tell him this or do I not? We had a breakdown in our vehicle on the side of the road. Him and I ended up there alone at the side of the road while the others fixed the flat tire. And I knew it was a setup from God. I didn't waste any time. I said, I need to tell you something. Last night, God spoke to me that you're my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and when God showed you that, you had this tremendous sense of peace mm -hmm. and joy. What did Yesu Padam look like when you told him? Well, I didn't see his face, <laughs> but he he took some time to reply. And then he started telling a bit about his life, his wife passing away. And then he told me about this crazy <laughs> prayer. He prayed that he did not think God would answer. And then it was very clear to both of us how God led us together. Yeah, and, and I, I still remember the call when he called to talk to Nancy and me and said, brother, brother, what do I do? Is this God? He told us, and that's when we found out the whole story mm. because I had only known about him thanking God for the years he had in ministry and basically telling the brothers, no, I'm not going to marry. I'm just going to mm -hmm. stay single. I had known that part. I didn't know about the prayer that he had prayed right. to be sure he, to be sure he stayed single. Uh, but, but God knew yeah. that God heard it and God orchestrated all of this. So mm -hmm. how long have you two been married now? It's almost 25 years. I'm uh, almost 26 years in India. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I really saw just how God bringing East and West together, especially for the expansion of the international part of the ministry. Yeah. Really was God's. Uh, and, and has it meant sacrifices yeah. for you? Oh, 110%. Everything is different. Of course, you know, leaving my family for that long and uh, just being in such a different culture. But God gave so much grace. And knowing so clearly it was God every step of the way that I go there and that I marry him has kept me so clear, clear, like this is God and I can't run no matter how hard it gets. And God has carried me through so much. I'm so grateful. And you've got two amazing kids that are at Oral Roberts University. Yes, Bethany and, uh, and Benjamin. Yeah, just so, you know, I remember, of course, you being married, the kids being born, watching yeah. all of this. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we got home last night after, after dinner together, and Nancy said, you know, that ministry would not be what it is without Monica. Oh. And uh, God's, God's used you in amazing ways. And as you said, with international expansion, with the mm -hmm. women's ministry there and, and so many mm -hmm. other things, uh, we've just got about a minute and a half before the break. What would you say to others who are considering uh, a call to the, to the foreign field? They feel God's calling them to missions, but they wonder, can I do it? Can I handle it? What would you say to them? Well, none of us can handle it. It's not us. It has to be God. But the most important thing is to know it's God, because after that, it it doesn't matter anymore. You know you're doing God's will, and you just obey Him, and He leads the way, and He gives the grace to go through it. So it's not up to us. It's not about us. So surviving dengue fear, fever, <laughs> surviving the heat, surviving the, the travel around the world, yeah. and putting all your kids the in a little room, all that, yeah, the death threats on your husband, and all that in, mm. in years past from some radical groups, yeah. uh, all worth it. All worth it. Yeah. You know it's God. Yeah, absolutely. Friends, check out loveandcareministries.org, lncministries.org. You can actually sponsor, how much does it cost to sponsor a child for a month? $25 a month. For everything? Yes. Food, clothing, shelter, mm -hmm. and education. education? Yes. 25 
$1,000 a month. Get online, lncministries.org. Sponsor some kids. Trust me, if you could meet them, you'd want to sponsor all of them. <laughs> what about a pastor in the tribal regions of planting churches, reaching the unreached? $50 a month. Help them with their basic needs of the family. Okay. Pastors, leaders, churches, individuals, business people, singles, think of this. $50 a month, you can, this is not to help support a pastor as he's raising thousands a month. No, no, this is to pay his bills. This is to help meet his basic needs for him and his family for a month while he's reaching the unreached. $50 a month, go to lncministries.org. You can make this happen. And, oh, friends, if you could see face-to-face some of these tribal regions where we've been, we're so lost, so unreached, now reached with the gospel. Now many people have come to know Jesus. It's worth it. It's eternally worth it. All right, we got a special surprise on the other side of the break. the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown thanks so much for joining us on this special edition of the line of fire broadcast when i'm in india i'll get to meet some of yesu Potom's friends and colleagues and i've met a dear brother named james professor james Meka of andra university and we've got to chat, and uh, Yesu Panam's told me about how the Lord has raised this young man up in the academic community in India. And he's on the trip with them. He's uh, also visiting different universities and, and participating in conferences here while in the States. So before we get back to Yesu Panam, I, I want you to meet uh, Professor James Maker. Hey, welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. I feel it as an honor for me. Oh, joy. Great joy. Okay, so... Uh, you were raised in the faith, dad a pastor, when God called him, he left his job, and, and you, you grew up without much food, and just it, it was challenging, difficult, but that was for the gospel. Um, when, when you were in school, in high school, uh, how were you as a student? Now, initially, I was a good student until my 10th grade. When I stepped into, in India, we call high school as junior college. In junior college, pride entered into my mind, so uh, I thought I to myself that I am a great student, but when results came out, I failed in it. Really? Yeah, I failed in it, and first time in the life I tasted bitterness of failure. Mm. All right, so, so you, you were, in our uh, talk, a, a high school failure uh, due to pride, and, and then what, what changed in your thinking? What, what happened to you? Yeah, then, then with that uh, bitterness of failure, and anywhere, only shame. So I heard somewhere long back that failure is not final with God. So I thought to attempt God that among that failure, in, in that bitterness, I, I reached Jesus Christ, and he changed my entire life. So he became real to you. You were raised in the faith, but that's when he really became real to you. Absolutely. Though I was raised in the faith, but I never had the personal relationship with Christ. I, I thought I can do by myself with my intelligence. So when I failed in my high school, that actually brought to me, brought 
me to the Christ. All right. So sometimes the worst things that happen to us can become the best things. Absolutely, that happened to me. Yeah, the stumbling blocks can become stepping stones. It's it's amazing to see. Okay, so so you failed. Now in the bitterness of failure, you really come to know Jesus, and it turns out that God has actually called you into academics. So uh, you you earned a master's degree in what field? Exactly. In fact, I know after the failure. God blessed my studies when I reached Him, when I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. So I started working so hard. Having raised up in, in minister's home and having seen all the struggles, the single objective that was there in my mind is to get a master's degree from Andhra University and go abroad and earn a lot of money and give it back to the ministry. That was my dream all through the life. So I did so well in the studies and I got my degree first class from the same university where I studied. And, and in what field? In computer science. Okay, so you got a master's in computer science. Then when you realized that God was calling you into the academic world, not the business world, uh, what did you earn after that? Actually, when I received my degree, I thought, thank you, Jesus, because I, I thought I'm in the right path in his will. So I attempted an interview where, where the interviewer was so impressed. The CEO was interviewing me. That went to the, I went to the final round. Then, you know, he was so impressed. And the final question he asked me is, how much salary you want? Oh, young man, I want you. Then I said, you know, suddenly my dreams are getting true. It, yeah. it was an emotional moment. But somehow by instinct, I didn't plan to say that. I said, uh, sir, please give me some time. I'll pray and find God's will and let you know. The moment I said that, uh, he looked at me like this and, okay, Stephen, nice to meet you. We'll see you back again. And that's it. He never called me back. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So you had the opportunity, but something checked inside of you. So I know you went through some, some months of challenging yeah, time. Then I got so disappointed. You know, I was angry on God. Because being very honestly, to earn money for God, not for myself, yeah. that I know to the best of my conscience. You know, I thought the moment I pronounced God, so all my dreams went off. So I thought, and I stopped reading Bible, I stopped, I stopped praying. I thought, no, this is all crazy. I, I made a blunder by mentioning God in it. So after three months, it, it turned my life. It's now... I really do not want to study the Bible, but there was a Bible in front of me. I was just rolling the pages. Sudden, suddenly at 2 Corinthians 12, 14, that particular verse zoomed into my eyes like, you know, someone is zooming with the lens. There it says, I don't want your possession. I want you. Mm -hmm. There was a living Bible on the self, so in simple English. So I took it and I read it. It says, I don't want your money. I want you. Then I clearly understood God uh -huh. is dealing with me. Yeah. I surrendered my life to his will that day. Yeah. All right. So then that's finally when you get on the path of your calling. So you're in your second master's degree in what field? Yeah. Then I, then I asked the Lord, Lord, here am I. Tell me what should I do? He spoke to me so clearly that I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go from Psalm 32, 8. I will counsel you by keeping my love up, loving eye upon you. So I surrendered my life completely. I yielded to his will. I asked the Lord, what should I do? He clearly spoke to me to take up teaching. 
so that I can always be in touch with students and the youth and the communities. So I have taken up teaching. So when I'm in teaching, I realized that I need to improve my qualifications further. So I did my master in philosophy in computer science then. Then I, I went on doing my other masters. Then I did my masters in technology in computer engineering. Then I did my uh, PhD in computer science and systems engineering from Andhra University. Then after some time I realized, you know, uh, I did my masters in business administration. Then I thought I'm into the ministry, I'm on the call, so I did my master's in divinity. So that's how I improved my qualifications and by the age of 32, I completed five masters and one PhD. And you're finishing your second PhD now. Mm -hmm, yeah. What also happened at, at age 32 in terms of a position that you were, were given that was unique? Exactly, I always believed in the spirit of excellence because our God is the God of excellence. So not just in, during studies, during study time there was a huge difference till I met Jesus personally, encountered personally. I didn't study well, I, I relied on my intelligence but after I met Jesus there, there is a paradigm shift. Like you know, I used to work hard 16 hours a day but even after taking up teaching profession I used to get up at 3 o'clock, prepare 3 hours for one lecture because I always want to show Jesus through my profession. So that happened. So when I was working so hard and with the spirit of excellence, God blessed me and he gave me a lot of promotions. And there was a time that there, there was a vacancy in, a, in an engineering college to take the highest position. Then my mentor asked me, would you take it up? But I was the youngest by that time. So at the age of 34, I could able to have an engineering institute that is affiliated to the same university I studied, Andhra University. I was the youngest ever principal at that age, at that time. And you know, Yesupanam knew you since you were a boy and, and prayed that God would make you a Daniel or a Joseph. Yes. So someone with this grace, this gift from God, and, and, and you've seen it, you've worked hard, but you recognize his grace and God's given you favor with many levels of the government to, to use the educational skills that you have to serve the government, to serve the people of India. Uh, how many students at Andhra University? 150,000 plus students. <laughs> All right, yeah. so it's, it's a big, school, massive school, yeah. 150,000 students. All right, you're professor there and then heading up these, these other departments. You've published numerous academic papers, won, what, mm. 10 national awards. Yes. Why do you feel it's so important in a diverse country like India for a Christian man to have this place in the educational world? This is very important. You know, God spoke to me one day from Isaiah, you know, chapter 6, when Isaiah heard that voice, who will go for us, whom shall we send? You know, I heard it like God is calling me to the marketplace, to the public square. In the next verse we say, go and tell the people, where are the people? People are in the marketplace. So I felt like, you know, Students, youth are in the colleges, in the universities. They need a pastor there, but they are not allowed in India. But me, being an educated person, being a professor, I have the access. So I believe God laid this platform through this educational arena to preach his gospel. Mm. That's what I understood from that call. And, and with all the education, all the academic work, you still love to go and preach in churches, yes? Yes, I preach every Sunday in the church. 
I take that we have three services. We call Rema Blessing Church that is founded by my father. And I preach in the second service every Sunday. But I get a lot of preaching opportunities because, you know, in Indian universities, they don't allow a pastor to preach in a Christmas evening or in a gospel, e gospel evening, gospel event. So they would go and ask the management, can we invite a professor? This, they say, oh, yes, professor, no issue. So I take that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And, and uh, among the young people, the students that you get to meet, and some you've brought all the way through PhD there uh, in the university, is there spiritual hunger? Or, are they searching? We know that many Indians are deeply spiritual. That's why they worship many different gods and things like that. Uh, are you finding spiritual hunger? Are they asking questions? Absolutely. You know, education and technology is going in a, in, in, in a pace that was never before. But I've seen constantly that vacuum in the student's heart. You know, they come up with the life problems. You know, technology can solve those life problems. They were very much depressed. And we are living in a world with a lot of stress involved in it. So often students come to me with those problems. I understand Jesus is the only solution to those problems. Because, you know, they, there is a lot of alternatives they find, but they do all the, they try all the alternatives. Finally, they come to me saying, sir, we tried all these things, but we failed. Can you please help us? Mm. And that makes a way to present the Lord to them who can give the eternal peace, the joy that surpasses all understanding. Yeah, what, what an incredible setting. Hey, friends, would you take this on? Would you pray for, just pray for Dr. James. Dr. James in India, God will know exactly who you are praying for, that God would keep him and God would use him to reach many, many students and others with the good news of Jesus. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, friends, I think you're getting an idea of why I go to India every year. The quality of, of these Christians that we work with, their devotion to the Lord, their sacrifice for the gospel, their single-mindedness, all about Jesus. Uh, I, I could tell you stories for hours, days, weeks, but you can, you can be part of this by praying and by going to lncministries.org. And thank you. In times past, when we've had Yesu Panam and Monica on the air, many of you have been very generous. You've helped with major projects there. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. LNC is in love and care, lncministries.org. So back to my dear brother, Yesu Panam. Okay. Uh, if... I've said this publicly, I know it embarrasses you, but you're living out the gospel as much as any human being I know on the planet, uh, from the heart. I say that it's a privilege and honor to work together. So uh, you've seen amazing things, some directly through ministry work you've done, like in a country like Germany, as you've been there and believe God and watched things that happen, some through folks that were part of your ministry, now in a country like Madagascar, really striking things. But there's a massive project that 
only God can help you finish right now. You know, we're talking about supporting a child for a certain amount of month or supporting a pastor for a certain amount of month. But this is really going to take miraculous help. This is, it's not like I could help or our entire, if our entire ministry gave everything that came in for the next 10 or 15 years, you need more than that for, for what you're doing. So uh, tell us about this project, this vision, and why it's so important. When I was 16, my mother was sick with a left knee swollen. That should have been cured so easily. But my dad has no money to take her to the hospital. I watched my mom suffering day and night with the pain and finally watched her dying in my hut on the floor, which threw me off. Angry, bitter, revenge. That's where I became like an animal. And I wanted to help moms like my mom, but I was not able to be a communist. I can talk about it, but I could not do anything. But as a Christian, after the Lord spoke to me and brought me out of it, I wanted to build a hospital to help moms like my mom. Even in India today, many cannot go see doctor if they don't have the money. And the government doesn't have the facilities for poor people to go. So by God's grace, I bought a land from the government in 2005. And we have been making preparations for that. And it's, it's a mountain. It's a mountain. Also, when I, in 97, I was in South Korea in June. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. I heard it. I heard it as clear as you hear my voice today. He said, build a prayer mount for me in India. So because of that, I looked for the mountain. Only government owns the mountains in India. It was crazy. I would even think of writing to the government to sell me five acres of land with the mountain. And then I got it. So with the desire of doing five things on that, a prayer mount 24-7 where people can come and spend time with the Lord. And then we can have the prayer conferences there where people can have come and have the conferences. Then a hospital at the bottom of that and a home for the elderly like my mom's. And then a home for the mentally uh, disabled children and a staff housing. Doing with all that and waiting for the government to give me permissions. After 25 years, actually, since God spoke to me in South Korea, then 18 years that I bought the land from the government, they were stopping me, giving the permissions. Because one of the things were, there was no Christian ministry that I know of in all our state, our area, that has a prayer mount on the mountain. Mm. And many Hindu temples are on the mountain. And my mountain is higher than their mountain, which is close to me with a Hindu temple. And they were coming against me. But by God's grace, April this year, I got the final permission from the government to build the hospital and all the five things that I needed to do on the mountain. All right. So <laughs> this is, the, I mean, we. when did we actually dedicate the, the property and, and put a foundation stone down? 2006. Right, 2006. Right, so that's... Your names are still there. Yeah, with Steve Hill. So 2006. Yeah. So all these years since then, right now, 16 years, 
You called me from India. Finally got permission from the government. You've got you've had plans ready for a long time. Just to get the plans approved, the official government process, how much is that going to cost? I need $300,000. $300,000. Right. Now, friends, re remember, we're talking to a ministry that is engaged in sacrificial work day and night. How, how many meals do you provide on a daily basis? Just in our, in our base, one base, we prepare 2,000 meals a day. Just in that one base in India? In one base. Okay. And, and, the, and do you have a lot of wealthy supporters that underwrite you, people with a lot of money that send you big checks? No. It's mostly <laughs> individuals. Right. Individuals that sponsor the children and the pastors mainly. That yeah. really sustains us. And I reached out, friends. I don't, we don't have a lot of, of wealthy friends. We don't have a lot of uh, ministries with a lot of money that I'm closely connected with. But I reached out to some different ones that I know, and, and none of them were, were able to, to help with this project. So we, we, but we know God's going to do something. Amen. The more, the more that we didn't get the, the open doors where we could knock, the more we said, well, God's going to have to do this. Yes. God's going to have to do this. And if, if he started the vision, he can bring it to, he's done everything else up to now, which is a miracle. He, he supplied miraculously supplies every day. Yes. Right. I remember for many, many years you had no guaranteed support. And every day, all the meals, kids being cared for, elderly being cared for, disabled being cared for. Okay. To do the whole project is about $18 million? Yes. All the five projects on the, on the mountain. And, and after the initial 300000 to really get things going so the government sees, because that's important. They want to see you're doing work. Exactly. Right. What they... So first you have to show you can get the plans approved, right? Uh, and then to actually show the work is going forward, how much money will you need? I need three million to complete the hospital building. It's a seven-storied building. It's a 480 rooms and 150,000 square foot mm. building. And it costs only $3 million to complete the construction. That's remarkable. And do you know of, of doctors and nurses that want to be part of this? Yes. We train nurses. We have lots of nurses. We train hundreds of them. So you have a, you have a nursing school? Oh, yeah. Well. We yeah. train nurses. We have a nursing school. Right. So this is a man who is not even a high school graduate or barely. Uh, yeah. And you have not only the children's school. Is that considered the best school in the region, the children's school? Yes, absolutely. We have no room. We have, we have lined up people who want to join their children in our school. We have no more room. We have 850 children right now wow. studying in our school. And how many in the children's home itself? We have 150. Got it. So you care for them 24-7. Yes. Many of them orphans and impoverished homes. Yes. Sometimes your church plant is going to tribal regions. They can't bring their kids because it's too dangerous and there's no, no adequate nourishment. So they give you their kids to raise. Exactly. Yeah. It, this is, friends, this is how people live for the gospel there in, in India. So I, I, I want to ask all of you, I don't have $300,000, I don't know, <laughs> let alone a million, let alone 30000 Just say, hey, just take this. Uh, but let's ask God. Let's ask God to meet this need and to finish what he started in such a way that he'll get the glory. And you, friend, you may be in business world, right? And I'm not raising this money for me, right? You may be in the business world, and God's done some miraculous things. And you're saying, where are we going to put this money? Where, we need to put this money in a good place. Well, here is a good place to put the money. Uh, yes, Yusupadam, we've got about a minute and a half before the break. Would you pray 
for, for our listeners and viewers, whatever's on your heart, would you just pour out your heart to God in prayer for them? Jehovah Zireh, you are our provider. You are the promise fulfilling God. You promised me. You told me to do it. I'm willing to do it. Lord, provide every need according to your riches and glory. Thank you for all our brothers and sisters that are listening to this. And you can only open the hearts of the people, Lord. Unless you do it, we know, Lord, we cannot do anything. And we trust you. We love you. Bless all the brothers and sisters that are listening to this message, Lord. And uh, burn their hearts with a passion for Jesus. Proclaiming this glorious gospel, Lord. We will never, never forget to give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So friends, you've heard today from a former untouchable who was a Naxalite communist engaged in terrorist activities, Jesus saved. You heard from a young woman with a calling of God as a, as a seven-year-old getting saved and giving her life to the Lord, miraculously called to India to serve side by side with this brother. You heard from a man who was a high school failure who had earned five masters and a PhD by the age of 32. You know what it says? God can use anyone. And you're listening to the voice of someone who was shooting heroin at the age of 15 and stealing money from his own father when God saved him. If God could use the likes of us, he could use you. Yield your life afresh to God and say, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. You have no idea what your future might hold. Back with you tomorrow.